All right. Apparently, I was too slow to fade out the animation, so here we are, ready to go. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Uh, today, uh, we're, we're, we're in for a bit of a change compared to what our normal routine is because we have a special guest with us today. We have Rob Kwan from Unrig LA here to talk about redistricting in the city council districts here in Los Angeles. And uh, the rather, shall we say, uh, obscured manner in which that process is handled and the fact that nobody really is paying any attention to it and Nuri wants you to keep not paying attention to it because that serves her interest, but we'll get into the details of that in a little bit. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the fact that coronavirus has basically uh, plateaued as far as new cases are concerned across the country. They are not going down, so do not let up on your taking precautions. Um, but, you know, before we get all into it, how's everything going for you, Squirrel? Uh, it's going all right. Um, it's been kind of a long day getting people uh, appointments for the vaccine and stuff. Nice. Uh, we're going to cover a little bit later, but the, the CDC release, released new guidelines if you are fully vaccinated and uh, good in some areas, bad in others, and still a little bit wacky. Uh, it seems like the state of California is pushing as hard as they can to get kids back into schools, and I think that's also a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, a, lot of, a lot of mixed feelings. What about you, Terry? How are you doing tonight? Doing all right. Uh, thinking the same things you are. Uh, you hear so much about how Texas and South Dakota and all these red states are opening full bore. Uh, and when we forget that places like California and Massachusetts are also being stupid uh, when it comes to reopening, they just happen to say, but be careful while they're reopening. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are so screwed. Uh... What about you, Chris? How are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm settling into the the new job actually and kind of kind of digging it. There's a lot of work to do, um, but otherwise just enjoying the fact that you know it's uh, the weather's been pretty nice out for walking around in downtown a little bit, getting getting to stretch my legs and not you know sweat to death or uh, freeze to death between the uh, the, two, the two seasons that we have here in Los Angeles. It's been pretty nice lately. Uh, not that it's actually nice. that hot or that cold in downtown, except if you're living unhoused on the streets because we live in a broken society. Um, but overall, I'd say I'm doing pretty well. Uh, so yeah. there's 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 a news item that we want to hit before we talk a little yeah. bit here about coronavirus. It's um, it's not so, one that I feel good about. Let's let's so what's, here, what's going on, squirrel. So here in the here in the states, um, like other nations have more efficient ways of dealing with their rulers that they don't like. I'm thinking specifically about like France, you know, they, they dealt very efficiently with their monarchy back in the day, (laughs) but you know, here in the, here in the United States of America, we have recall elections um, where you can kick someone out of office in a two-step process where like you vote them out of office and then you have to like vote for their replacement, which could also be them just to make it a little bit more complicated. But currently, like we covered last week, uh, there is a recall effort uh, being launched against uh, George Gascone, who is the L.A. County District Attorney. But there is a much less nascent and more well-established recall effort going on against Gavin Newsom, the the Gavinator, uh, the finely coiffed uh, ex-husband of Kimberly Guilfoyle, who is currently <laughs> dating, I believe, uh, Don Jr., Um, so that's gotta hurt. But anyways, uh, this very right wing campaign has been chugging along pretty well for the last few months. Uh, they claim to have collected 
1.95 million signatures. They will need 1.5 million signatures to get on the ballot and 1.5 million ballot signatures. So every time somebody signs that recall petition, the state has to look at that signature and decide like, hey, is this person a registered voter? Do they live where they say they live? Are they mm -hmm. able to sign this petition? And if so, then that signature gets counted. The scary part about this, like generally recall petitions have like 40 to 60% validation rates. This one has an 83% validation rate. So uh, the people who are signing this are registered voters, probably very conservative, probably very white, probably very wealthy, probably registered at the correct address and you know haven't moved recently. Um, just kind of all the, the, the markers of very reactionary folks who want to do, with, do away with our very centrist and milquetoast governor for the crime of being a centrist milk toast governor uh, <laughs> to let you know, like the last time we did this, because it wasn't that long ago, but the last time we did this was in 2003. I believe, Chris, you and I were both at USC when this was going on, when Pete Davis yeah. was being recalled, uh, when Pete freshman. Davis was. Re oh, OK. Yeah, no, I was like, a, <laughs> I was like a junior. This is actually um, my first election I got to vote in was the recall election. <laughs> my my first election I got to vote in was. Um, uh, for Al Gore and oh, <laughs> that uh, that sucked a lot but on every level, you know. And I I want to take that ballot and I want to I want to put it in a lockbox. You know, we're just gonna put it in a lockbox and we're gonna. That's a throwback like joke security. for anyone yeah. for anyone yeah. out there in yeah. the in the millennial generation. You're gonna get that, but the Zoomers <laughs> they don't get Christ. to get that joke. Anyways, nope. back to the back to the subject at hand. So in 2003, Pete Davis got recalled. Uh, when it came to the actual, like, who's going to replace him election, there were 135 qualified candidates. Like, this ballot was like a phone book. It was so freaking thick. And you just had everyone under the sun running. Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, the original governor, uh, came out on top and was governor for two terms here in the state of California. Uh, one of his most notable achievements was uh, bankrupting the state of California. Like, Arnold's main campaign promise was that he was going to stop the car registration fee increases that Pete Davis was pushing. And mm -hmm. that ultimately led to the bankrupting of the state of California. And then Arnold, on his way out the door, increased car registration fees back to where they were uh, just to make up for the fact that he had bankrupted the state by winning that election. So uh, to kind of editorialize here at the end, uh, Newsom sucks. Recalling Newsom sucks more. Please, for the love of all that is good and holy, do not vote to recall Newsom because then we have no idea who's going to end up in there. And we're looking at like the weird anarcho-libertarian CEO of Reddit's already thrown his hat in the ring. Uh, the Cox guy who ran against uh, Newsom last time who got very mad at me for calling him a billionaire when he's <laughs> only worth a quarter of a billion dollars. Uh, he's looking to run again. John Cox, that's his name. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a rogues gallery of absolutely fucking terrible. So uh, if you get the chance, if this recall petition does turn into a recall ballot, uh, voting to keep Newsom in office is unfortunately the least terrible of all of the terrible choices we have here. So uh, I'm going to slash rant on that one and see if Terry, if Chris, you have uh, you have any thoughts on that with the note that uh, Terry is in a state that is also trying trying to uh, uh, get rid of their governor for very different reasons. Well, if if only we had like a, any advanced parliamentary democracy, a vote of no confidence that could just get rid of uh, a sitting government or or the French guillotine. Uh, those would be ideal. Uh, as for as for California's recall election, uh, just I think yesterday, Bernie Sanders tweeted into the fray 
Um, hopefully that'll keep uh, some Democratic uh, hopefuls from splitting the field. Uh, if there is a recall election, uh, we'll see. Uh, as for, yeah, New York, I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm, you know, I'm gonna just buy in copies of uh, Cuomo's book for myself and all my friends to learn about leadership. <laughs> oh. oh, God, fantastic! So all right, everything so, is terrible. Uh, we... <laughs> yes, and it, it always will be. But so uh, our, the, the main show tonight is going to be uh, redistricting with Rob Kwan. Before we bring Rob on, though, we're going to talk a little bit about coronavirus. We do have some updates to go over. We're not doing the big segment like we used to, but Chris, go ahead and take it away, and then we'll talk about the new CDC guidance. Yeah, so basically uh, things are not nearly – things are not getting bad nearly as quickly – Things are not getting worse nearly as quickly as they have been for a long time. Um, we're up to three and a half, almost 3.6 million confirmed cases here in California. Uh, sadly, almost 54,500 deaths due to the virus. Fortunately, we're up to 10.5 million vaccines. Uh, chugging right along with those. We're finally... I mean, still, like, as, as good as that number is, like, it's still very racialized. We should point that out. Oh, like, yeah. White people are getting oh, vaccinated yeah. far more efficiently than black and brown communities, and that's really a problem. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Especially because uh, most – well, we'll get into that later. Um, cumulative cases, we're finally starting to flatline the cumulative case count, uh, kind of. You know, it only took us a, a year. Um, our new cases by day is, is, is plummeting dramatically, which is great to see. It's continuing that trend that we've seen for the last few weeks. Our, our intensive care and other hospitalization is also continuing to trend downward in ways that are deeply uh, hopeful to see. Uh, sadly, we are still seeing a, a number of people dying, but our ICU bed availability is jumping up significantly, more than double what it was back uh, at the end of January. Um, our deaths by day in, in the state is still, at the seven-day average, is hovering around 300 right now, which is still devastating. Um, but nowhere near the 500 to 600 that we were seeing per day back at the end of January as the surge was uh, washing up upon our shores. In L.A. County, we're looking at 1.2 million confirmed cases, 22,000 deaths, um, almost 2.6 million vaccines, which is uh, doing well. That's, so that's almost 25% uh, of L.A. County uh, versus uh, what was the state was at like 9%, 10%? Yeah. Oh, around God. there yeah 10% no no it's no it's actually 25% so it's 10 and a half million so it's about 25% everywhere so that's that's reassuring to see um our our totals are also pretty much flatlining here at 1.2 million cases um new cases by day also continuing to trend downward the uh intensive care and hospitalization here in this in the county of Los Angeles is also moving very much in the right direction our ICU bed availability is Finally back up well over 500 for the first time in a long time. So that's really great to see. We are quickly approaching our Tier 2 qualification for adjusted case rate. We are down to 7.2. We need to get below 7. Our positivity rate is down to 3.5%, which gets us squarely into Tier 3, almost into Tier 4, actually. Um, and our equity index has finally just 
dipped slightly into tier three at 5.1, whereas the, the threshold there is at 5.2. Um, and, and I, I should our, say, if we once we get the uh, the adjusted case rate down below seven and we enter the red tier zone, uh, if we can stay there for two weeks, that authorizes the county to open up indoor dining, to open uh, up gyms, to open up uh, some live venues. So uh, things could be moving very quickly here as far as like, a return to normalcy. But yeah. as we'll talk about here shortly, uh, we can't just hop in and all go back to normal immediately. Yeah. And so our, our deaths by day here in LA County is still completely, uh, a, a, the, the chart is completely screwed up by that. Um, the uncovering of all of those deaths during the winter surge uh, that was reported all at once a week and a half ago. Um, but we are down finally below a hundred deaths per day. Uh, as a weekly average or a seven-day moving average, which is great to see. So uh, things are looking up. Uh, they're not great, yep. but they're looking up. And uh, today the CDC released, released new guidelines for people who are fully vaccinated. Uh, that includes me, which is uh, kind of cool to know. But at the same time, like... You're, we're going to have to keep most of the same precautions. The main takeaways are that people who are fully vaccinated can hang out indoors with other people who are fully vaccinated without masks. Uh, you can hang out with people from a single household um, where nobody in that group is at risk for severe illness from COVID. I, from COVID, I, they're not like a vulnerable person who has uh, whose immune system is compromised or who has a comorbidity like type two diabetes, cancer. Um, any any of the conditions that we found to like increase the likelihood that your COVID case will be fatal, uh, and you can refrain from quarantining after a COVID exposure. Things that aren't going to change: you should still wear your mask in public. Uh, you should make sure to avoid large and medium-sized uh, gatherings, especially indoors. Uh, if you are experiencing COVID-19 symptoms, you should get tested. We don't know how long the COVID vaccine is effective for, or if it really stops transmission. There is some good data coming out of Israel that seems to show that. Being fully vaccinated does decrease the transmission of of COVID the COVID virus, but we're not exactly sure how well that like how that data is going to shake out. And we also again don't know how long the vaccine is going to last. This could be like the flu vaccine, where you're going to have to get a new vaccine dose every year or every couple years. Uh, it could be something that lasts for a while. We're just gonna have to wait and see how the data shakes out. This has been a very quick process. Um, you know, this was the fastest development of a vaccine ever in the history of the world. Before this, it was uh, the measles and mumps uh, uh, vaccine, which I believe took uh, four years. Uh, so this wow. one being done in less than a year and a number of vaccines being produced in less than a year are pretty crazy, but you know, that's what you get with CRISPR technology. So that could be a very cool thing. But just in case you're wondering, like, how does this change your daily life? It really doesn't. Wear your mask, stay social distance, be careful who you're hanging out with and how long you're spending time with people indoors. Try and do as try and do no traveling. Like, don't travel. Like, if you can stay within your like block or a couple blocks radius, that's the best. Uh, the state of California is still advising people to not travel more than 100 miles from home. So if your parents or your grandparents live in the, the Bay Area, you know, wait a couple of months until everyone's vaccinated and then you can go see them. The last thing we want to see is the numbers right now are kind of plateauing, but those numbers could easily tick up. A lot of states are just fully opening up again and a lot of people travel to California, especially as we're getting into tourist season. So this could all be very, very dangerous. So we need the vaccine re regime to really kick it up and make sure that essential workers and workers um, from communities of color are getting vaccinated as soon as possible and that we're prioritizing them. And we need to make sure everybody's still staying careful. So some really good developments, but a lot of things to still be wary of. That's such great news. But yes, um, 
don't don't stop wearing your mask, folks. That's what it really comes down to here. Oh, so, my God, Andrea, that makes me so mad. That makes me what well, you just put in chat that he wants us that John Cox wants us to have a, a Texas like energy system just makes me so mad. I hate that. Holy guy. shit. Oh, wow. We want to you. So we want to cut ourselves off from the national grid so we can just ensure that we're completely fucked when the uh, the winds kick up and uh, summer heat is blasting us. Yeah, that sounds like a fucking great idea. John Cox, oh. you ignorant sack of shit. Um, yeah. Yeah. Allegedly. Well, anyway. Chris, allegedly. The, the no, I think if, ignorant if... sack of shit doesn't require an allegedly attached to it. Just throwing that out there. Terry. The question is if you can sell that anymore, right? I mean, if you could, if you can have so. that as, as your platform <laughs> position, and I mean, we could just look at Texas; it's right there. Yeah. Oh, what could possibly so go wrong? Jesus look, we'll Christ. we'll know things are bad if Elon Musk tries to move back, and you know no. that we definitely have to put a stop to. <laughs> but uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and bring on the main show for tonight, the main event, uh, Rob Kwan from Unrig LA. Uh, one of the most knowledgeable people in L.A. politics joining us tonight. How are you doing tonight, Rob? I'm doing good. Thank you for the kind words. <laughs> You're very welcome. So uh, tonight we're going to be talking about redistricting a bit. And redistricting, for those of you that don't know, is a process that happens every 10 years uh, because of the, the census in the U.S., which is a constitutionally mandated process where the government has to count everybody and figure out how many of us there are and then figure out how to provide equal representation within like certain bounds. We're not going to get into how unequal representation is across the country, but this kind of devolves in some very interesting ways where different levels of the state and different municipalities get to draw their own districts for different stuff. And here in LA, because we are such a massive political beast, we get to have, well, not we, but our elected representatives at the local level get to have a lot of control over how we draw these districts. So, Rob, do you want to give a little intro about how L.A. City does this and, like, who's kind of involved in picking who's drawing these lines? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, I think the most important thing to remember with redistricting is, um, you know, it's easy to think that because we don't have, um, you know, Republicans. <laughs> We've got one Republican on our, uh, <laughs> and he doesn't even identify as a Republican anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> it's easy to think that this doesn't impact us, um, but it, it definitely does. And I, I think um, it's important to remember that it impacts us not just when the lines are drawn, but before the lines are drawn. Um, I promise you for the last few years, when our council members have been thinking about voting against the council president and her wishes, they were thinking about redistricting because this is power in its rawest form. And um, we've seen in the past, it can come back to bite you in the ass. And, um, you know, I, I think that's just important to remember as far as how redistricting is shaping the way council is behaving right now. And, um, you know, if you look at that graphic there, it gives you a really good, you know, just a, a, a boiler plate, you know, take on how things can be cut in ways that either empower people or disempower them. And, um, you know, we don't have red or blue, so let's just pretend, you know, it looks kind of pinkish. We'll say that those are people who voted for Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, and the other 40% are people that voted for Joe Biden, Bloomberg, or voted for Trump. 
you can see how, you know, that can either be drawn to ensure that, you know, the progressive vote just dominates in every single district, or it can be drawn in a way to give the minority a majority of seats. Um, so I, I, it's just really important to understand how things can be drawn up. Technology's changed a lot. Computers and redistricting have been, you know, a factor for quite some time, but now it's so cheap to do that. Um, there are apps in, included in the toolkit that we sent around that you, you, you can go and draw your own proposed lines at home for the California legislature, for our congressional seats. So these are things that can be done at home. Um, so it's just important to remember how things have changed and, and just the number of ways that they, you know, these districts can be redrawn. Um, so I, I want to ask real quick, there's always going to be an element of gerrymandering in, in redistricting, right? Just the way that people live, the way neighborhoods are drawn out. That's kind of always going to be a part of the process. Like the lines that are being drawn will always be somewhat artificial. I mean, these are political boundaries. So they're, they're definitely to some extent, you know, artificial and, and, you know, fluid in that way. Um, there, the, uh, there's ways that districts can be drawn to empower communities and to disenfranchise them. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, can you hop to the next slide? I, it'd be good to just give you a, a good, you know, an overview of the process in the city of LA. Um, one sec, my, uh, my computer decided to change the, the aspect ratio of everything. Sorry. <laughs> that there we go. It was just cropping all of the text because I, uh, clicked on something. Sorry. <laughs> All good. So here in the city of L.A., we've got 15 council seats, seven LAUSD seats. Uh, this happens every 10 years. Uh, districts have to be drawn roughly equal in population. The Supreme Court's viewed, you know, if you're within 10 percent, you're good. Um, and, it, you know, one really important factor to remember is districts need to be equal in population, but not in voters. Um, the charter also requires that there's continuity, <laughs> these districts need to be contiguous. Um, they, they can't have, you know, San Pedro and, and Westchester and have nothing connecting them. So they have to be connected and to the extent possible, they're supposed to be compact, but that language in the charter is kind of a term of art. Um, we go to the next slide, you know, it's easy to look at like Joe Buscaino's district, let's say, all the way down in the south and say that's that's gerrymandered. It looks funny, uh, but there's a really tiny land bridge, which is necessary for them to be connected by um, freeways, rivers. All of these things can influence, you know, why a boundary might be drawn in a certain way. Neighborhood councils, that's also a factor. Um, a really important thing to, to keep in mind is, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum. If you, you know, change a district in a certain way, you know, let's say in South L.A. to ensure that we can elect a Latino over there. Well, that might be coming at the expense of ensuring that we have, you know, representation of our African-American community. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not as though, you know, you just make one decision and that has no influence on everything else in the map. Um, so in, in 2010, uh, Herb Wesson 
was accused of, credited with, having a lot of influence over this process that benefited him politically. Is Herb Wesson, like, was he drawing these lines himself? Or, like, who's actually drawing these lines? So it's, it's kind of um, a, a process that's broken up. It used to be that, you know, Herb Wesson or whoever the council president was would just have control of the, the process. The Wild West, where politicians are drawing their own lines and it just goes right on ahead. Um, when we had charter reform in 1999, uh, we moved to an advisory redistricting commission. This was back before, you know, the state of California and all of these other places had independent redistricting commissions. So this was kind of viewed as a you know, a step forward without going too far. Um, the the way it works out for city council is there's a 21 member commission and the members are appointed by our elected officials. So three from the mayor, two from the council president and one each from our city attorney, controller and our 14 other elected officials. Uh, if you look at Make LAUSD, sure. sorry. Yes. <laughs> LAUSD, we've got 15 members on the commission, four by the mayor, four by the council president, and one each by the LAUSD board members. Um, an important factor to remember, this is just an advisory commission. So the appointment of these people, the removal of them, that power rests solely with the elected official. Uh, they can remove them at any point for whatever reason they want. Um, the proposed lines that the commission comes up with are simply recommendations. Council can change them as they want, subject to a mayor's veto. Um, so, you know, as, as Tim was asking, you know, who has the real power here? Uh, we still have a process where the council president is fully in charge. The council president is able to appoint six people to these commissions in total. Um, they control the process once it leaves the commission. So, you know, Nuri Martinez is going to be deciding which committee this goes to. Does it go to the rules committee or does it go to an ad hoc redistricting committee? Um, that is that is such a perfect photo you picked, by the way. For anybody listening on audio, it is uh, Nuri Martinez dresses Maleficent uh, doing her best Angelina Jolie impression. Yeah, I I, uh, I get a kick out of, you know, reusing and recycling Nuri Martinez's social media content. Um, so, <laughs> um, so, you know, th this line drawing process, the commission is going to recommend some lines and in an ideal world, they meet with the community, they figure out the tough questions and they narrow it down so that there's really very little council can change. And if they do change it, there's a spotlight and a focus on it. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the, the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is kind of what happened last time around where they drew a map, they kind of did it hastily and they had to just scrap the whole thing. Uh, and then council got it and they re they hacked it up. Um, so there, there's that whole process there. And, and the council president has uh, you know enormous power behind the scenes because everybody knows that this is going through the council president. Um, I think it's worth pointing out really quickly here that this um, has massive ramifications. So one of the things that came out of the redistricting effort back in uh, the last cycle, uh, if you guys all remember that, was that was how Jose Huizar got downtown. Like that was how mm -hmm. the CD14 uh, enterprise got its start was through 
favorable redistricting of all of that extraordinarily lucrative development contract space uh, into the uh, greedy, greedy, uh, allegedly extremely corrupt hands of uh, my former councilman, Jose Huizar. Uh, I don't know how else to put an allegedly in there, but yeah, it's a thing. Uh, so it, it's just worth pointing out, like, like that was uh, Herb Wesson referred to Jose as uh, his his brother from another mother, I believe, was the phrase that he liked to use. Uh, I mean, he calls everyone his brother from another mother. I think that's a sign that, like, uh, Herb's fair. about to shank you. But he did say, <laughs> Jose Weezar is my best friend on the council. I love him like a brother. Uh, and And something to the extent of, you know, I... I do anything for him and you know he'd do the same that's got some real sopranos vibes for me yeah it does <laughs> so it, it's um you know jose Weizar kind of epitomizes everything that could go wrong in this process uh we could skip this next slide i just wanted to flag that you know the state of california la county san diego a bunch of other cities in the state have independent redistricting commissions uh but on the next slide this kind of tells you what can all go wrong? And in the, the first cycle of this, in the early 2000s, Ruth Galanter uh, used to be over on the west side, had Venice in her district, and the redistricting process happened, and her district was moved all the way out into the valley, where she had not a single common voter or constituent that she had in her old district. Um, that's what kind of happens when you're a lame duck council member, you don't have any more time left in office, you're not running for re-election, and they say, oh, okay, well, you know, what's it matter to them? So that's something that, you know, Paul Krikorian, Paul Krikorian is at risk of being Ruth Galantered. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, so, so because you as a council member have to live in the district you're running from, could somebody be redistricted out of the district they're representing? Yes, uh, Ruth Galanter, I, I don't know if she had a, a, a second home out there. If, you know, the old council was like this one where they all got second homes. But uh, she would have to move. Um, and that's something that has happened to Gil Cedillo and Mitch O'Farrell. It's easy to forget when they were running as candidates originally, they were outsiders to some extent in that they weren't the chosen one of City Hall. And mm -hmm. Gil Cedillo and Mitch O'Farrell in early maps found themselves drawn out. Um, Cedillo was able to get drawn back in and Mitch O'Farrell had to move. Um, ah. Parks, in an early map last time around, he was drawn out of his district. Um, so it's entirely possible to have somebody drawn out of their district and have their district moved anywhere outside. Um, so that's that's just kind of the, the reality of redistricting and, and just how big of a noose they got around them at the moment. And uh, those those redistricting decisions that have drawn people out of their districts have definitely not come back to haunt anyone with scathing editorials in the LA Times when certain candidates were running for, oh, I don't know, supervisorial positions in the LA County Board of Supervisors. Just saying. <clears throat> Jan Perry, what? Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> Really quickly, K-Town, that was a really oh, big yeah. flashback last time around. Um, there was a, a huge effort in the Korean-American community. We, we had not had a Korean-American representative at, up until that point. Um, and 
they they got a proposed district and it had most of Koreatown in it, but unfortunately it was stuffed into CD10, Herb Wesson's district. They were wanting to see it go into CD4, CD13, somewhere where there was an actual opportunity to elect a Korean American. That resulted in a lawsuit, all kinds of legal battles. Um, you know, part of the the, the back layer to that was Jose uh, Herb Wesson was intent on making sure that there were three districts where we could elect an African American, uh, and that really drove the priorities of you know his people on the commission. Um, Jan Perry, uh, she had most of downtown pulled back from her, um, where she was left with you know simply you know the convention center and the Staples Center, and that's it. Um, that's something, you know, Bernard Parks and Jan Perry, they got the smack down because they had not supported Herb Wesson for council president. Uh, so, you know, they had their committee stripped and then they got their districts messed up. Um, that's just a, you know, a reality. It's, it's something that, you know, really affected Jan Perry because she had, you know, one of the poorer districts in the city and, you know, that part of downtown L.A. was an economic hub. It was a way for her to, to you know, bring resources into her district. Um, so it was definitely something that supercharged Jose Huizar. Um, and, and, you know, there are multiple projects that are under scrutiny right now for corruption that were not in his district before. Um, there's a Dave Zonizer article that goes into all of the shenanigans. You know, there were explicit promises from staff developers people could get meetings with the staff if they turned out to give public comment um, accusations from a commissioner that jose Weizar's staffer his chief of staff was on the floor mixing up the deck of public comment cards to favor jose Weizar commenters um so there's just kind of all all sorts of interference that happens here um really quickly what's going on now um, as a coalition, you know, Unrig LA, Ground Game LA, a, a lot, there were 30 plus organizations all signed on to a letter demanding some reforms to the process. Nuri Martinez kind of listened to them, uh, not really for most of them, but uh, we did get a requirement that if there are discussions happening between our commissioners and our elected officials or their staff, those have to be disclosed. Um, mm. The appointments happened this fall. Um, they are currently hiring executive directors. Um, the LAUSD Redistricting Commission is voting this Wednesday on Andrew Westall. And he is, of course, the former co-chief of staff of Herb Wesson, the former senior aide of Wesson, before taking the job as the LA City Council Redistricting Commission ED. Um, so that's just something that, you know, is looming and uh, so much of what we were trying to do in that coalition letter was avoiding um, the shit show of a process we had last time around. And it's sad to see that somebody responsible for that is potentially getting, um, you know, a, a new job and lease on life. So a, a real quick weeds weeds question is the uh, are these commissions uh, subject to the Brown Act in the same way that like most local government is or do they have like special rules that apply to them? They, they, they function under the Brown Act, just like all of our committees, council, our commissions. So yes, they're, they, they have the same Brown Act requirements they have to abide by. And they're also you know, required to comply with California Public Records Act requests. 
random question for you about Andrew Westall. Wasn't he the one that was uh, trying to tell uh, Nithya that she needs to learn how to recall her vote or some shit like that, like a few weeks ago? Yeah, he he's uh, recently joined Twitter, and now that <laughs> no longer works for an elected official, he's felt liberated to you know go on some gaslighting expeditions. He's uh, this week he was railing against, or last week he was railing against Emily Albert Reyes and David Zonheiser for the article they wrote about Herb Wesson, um, and oh, uh, don't he, come he some, after Emily, yo. He had some really sexist comments about Nithya. Um, you know, basically saying like, "Oh, here's the rules. Here's a link to it. You didn't. You you need to read them." When, Ooh. yeah. Ooh. So, hey, Terry, uh, you had a question about the census, right? Uh, where are we with the census? Uh, it's been delayed. I know with I mean COVID and with all of that. The last presidential administration was <laughs> trying to. Uh, inflict on us. Uh, so where are we now? And is that going to uh, affect the timeline of redistricting or uh, are things still moving along? It has blown up our timeline. Um, <laughs> they, 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 they were already in a really tough situation where they were having to budget their time. And back in February, they were looking at this proposed timeline and said, hey, um, we can maybe do it in 16 weeks instead of 19 weeks. And here's a scenario that we might be able to make it work in. And it assumed that we got census data uh, August 23rd at the latest. And not long <laughs> after that, the census announced that, you know, you're not going to get this data until maybe the end of September. Um, and that just kind of nuked this timeline. Um that it, I really don't know what's going to happen there. Um, the city is required to have their lines all done by December 31st or else as L.A. Superior Court draws them. Um, so we might need to have the state of California push our primary back a month. Um, we, we might need to have the city attorney take legal action uh, because the charter mandates we have it done by December 31st no matter what. Um so this is a really Jesus. horrible situation. Normally, if you were a 2022 candidate running for city council or LAUSD, uh, by the fall, you'd have a good idea of what districts you were looking at and who your voters were going to be. And it's looking increasingly likely that they really won't have a firm hold on who their voters are until the very, very end of 2021 and maybe early 2022. Um, so candidates are going to have six months to move back in the district <laughs> <laughs> to, to really do that tailored outreach, uh, for those getting matching funds, they got to raise money from in the district. So there's, there's going to be all kinds of implications and the, the, the census delays are just God awful. So what are the what are the chances that Mike Fuhrer, who is our current city attorney and is also um, trying to position himself to replace Eric Garcetti, is going to be in a position to take action? Like, will he actually have the focus and political capital to do that while he's running an election campaign himself? Uh, I, I think that if anything, it, it helps because he has a vested interest in knowing exactly when his primary is going to be. Um, so. 
I, I, that, that is one of those rare situations where normally I wouldn't be that inspired uh, by the notion of Mike Fear taking swift action to uphold our democracy. Yeah. But this is one of those situations where it works in his favor to get this all sorted out. Mike, they're they're trying to redistrict in fake iPhone chargers. That'll light a fire <laughs> under his ass. That's his thing. <laughs> It absolutely is. Oh. So I, I know that Mitch O'Farrell lives like at the very, very, very corner of his district right now. What do you think the odds are that CD 13 gets redrawn and Mitch has to move? I, who knows whether or not he gets redrawn, but you know, looking at our council districts and where Bernie Sanders did the best, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not where our most liberal council member, or it's not where you know you would assume. One would assume maybe one of our liberal council members, like Mike Bonin or Nithya Raman, and Mike Bonin actually has one of the most conservative districts in the city. Uh, Nithya's kind of got one of, like a middle conservative district. The most progressive districts out there are CD thirteen and CD one. Yeah. Um, so you know they're. they're Re, uh, redistricting terms like cracking and packing and there, there's all kinds of you know fluidity there and how they can do this and maybe they take the progressive vote and they pack it all into one or two districts uh, so Nithya gets all of the progressive vote um, or maybe they, they crack it up and they try to make you know her bend to the right a little bit more by diluting her district of progressive votes um and and they crack up that progressive vote um we know that the what it's the sherman oaks uh homeowners association is trying desperately to basically get themselves excised from cd4 and moved up into one of the valley valley districts right yeah aside from me and and some of my redistricting nerd friends uh, the only people calling in to these commission meetings as persistently have been the Sherman Oaks Homeowners Association. They, re- they really, really want out of CD4. Um, sad. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, really important things to remember for why this cycle matters a lot is we're having huge dramatic changes. We have just, you know, aligned our elections so instead of having 10% turnout, maybe if the mayor's on the ballot, 25% turnout, we're having you know, 50, 75% turnout. Um, so it's just a completely different ball game. You're not having those elections dominated by older, wider, wealthier voters. You're having much bigger turnout, more progressive turnout. Um, and then you know, if you look at that chart on the right, that gives you an idea of how much uh, divergence there is in, in uh, voter registration between the districts. Whereas populations all within 5% here in the city of LA, that's not the case with voter registration. You have some districts where it's just barely 100,000 and they have other districts where there's nearly 190,000 voters. Holy shit, Bonin. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's just all kinds of room for play there because these campaigns, I promise you, have been these candidates have been looking at that 2020 primary data. That's precious stuff. It tells you who voted for council, who voted for president, but not council. It tells you, you know, where those Bernie voters are, where the vo- Warren voters are, where the Bloomberg voters are, and where the Biden voters are. 
And I promise you they're going to be slicing and dicing that data to figure out the most advantageous districts possible for them. Um, we also have increased matching funds. So, you know, challenging candidates have a much better shot at taking somebody down. For our elected officials, they're used to never facing a runoff. So simply facing a runoff is something they fear because it means eight more months on the campaign trail, raising hundreds of thousands more dollars. Nobody wants to be David Rue. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, David Rue, uh, legitimately speaking, was no slob. He, 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 you know, was a, until this last year, decent public servant. He is not a complete piece of shit like Curran Price, Mitch O'Farrell, or Gil Cedillo. And for those three in particular, uh, they're, they're watching what happened in CD4, and it's a big awakening. There's a reason why when Curran Price was divvying up that LAPD money, he said, hey, please, pretty, pretty, please, I need a universal basic income program. Uh, because now he actually has one good thing that he can say I did in my time in office. Um, <laughs> Aside from recusing himself from every fucking vote that has to do anything <laughs> with his wife's business, which is, oh, I don't know, basically three votes per council meeting, it seems like. Yeah, he has gotten a lot better about properly recusing himself, though. I think he had a talk I, to I, I think that's a, a credit to you, honestly, for repeatedly dragging him during the public comment session uh, in those morning meetings, reminding him that it is required by law that he disclose the reason for his recusal, not just recuse himself and just back off. Yeah. I just think that it was probably the city attorney or one of his colleagues that had a talk into and said, <laughs> oh, you're, that's a really bad position. <laughs> uh, so just really quickly, I wanted to get into some of the last dynamics of this election or this cycle of redistricting. As always in the city of L.A., longstanding story is the Valley and the Valley not feeling happy and catered to, uh, feeling neglected. Something that they've really wanted for a long, long time is to not have these districts where their members are split between, uh, you know, the interior of L.A. and the Valley. And having these long districts that stretch out, they want to have, you know, seven, eight council members that are all strictly in the valley. Um, here in the city of L.A., we have dramatic inequities. If you compare Mike Bonin and Paul Coretz's district to Price and Marquise Harris Dawson's, they have half the unemployment rate, you know, two, three times the you know median household income, uh, eight, ten times the educational attainment. Um, so, you know, there are all kinds of inequities in this city. Uh, we have, you know, four council members that are Latinx. Like that's just something in a city of LA where 50% of the population is Latinx. Like that's just not going to cut it. And, you know, that presents tension as I, you know, discussed before, but like, this is one thing that I think, you know, is deserving of attention. And just like the county, where there's a push right now to have more uh, representation over there, uh, we might see an attempt to empower uh, Latinx voters. Um, neighborhood councils. Uh, if you've kind of done any organizing, you've probably noticed that way too many of our neighborhood councils are split amongst council districts. And, you know, about a third of them are divided amongst council districts right now. Wow. So there's always an effort over the years to get more and more of them fit in there so that, you know, People aren't split up and having to devote their attention multiple fronts. 
Um, and that's all I got. The The last thing I wanted to say is a note on gerrymandering and mm-hmm. you know, gerrymandering. Uh, we, we oftentimes view that from the perspective of that's a funny looking district. And the Illinois fourth congressional district is a funny looking district. Many people derisively call it, uh, you know, the earmuff district, but this was a district specifically drawn to capture two pockets of uh, Latino voters who had been historically disenfranchised. And this was the way to get them together and to piece together voters, you know, and to get it all there. Um, It might not look normal, but uh, this is a situation where, you know, I, I just wanted to point that out because it's really easy to look at some of our districts and say, that's funny looking, that must be bad. Um, and it's not necessarily, you know, uh, black and white like that. Um, and down there, I got a link to the toolkit. That's just something that, you know, uh, has some of the helpful links to, you know, understanding this process, um, you know, links to the LA County, the state, um, some apps where you can draw your own districts, draw community of interest districts, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, but most importantly, it's got some data on demographics by council district from the LA Times, economic reports from the Chamber of Commerce, voter registration data, all kinds of good stuff that's really helpful for you to just kind of get your head around uh, what's all at stake here. And um, yeah, that's what I got. Yeah. I, um, so I have a question, and this might this might be a little bit um, a little a little bit too in depth, or something we couldn't really like predict from here. But there's been a a uh, kind of migration towards the northern end of L.A. County, like the Antelope Valley has seen a lot of people, especially from South L.A., voters of color moving up there because you can afford a nicer place. You can buy a house up there. Do you think those demographic chains are really going to hit in this redistricting? Like, are we going to see sort of some of the racial power bases in the city of L.A. have shifted substantially? Um, it'll be really interesting to see. I, I mean, I, I think... You know, that's that's part of why uh, this redistricting data is taking so long, because they want to have legitimate data because there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on it and they know they got to get it right. Um, But that's exactly the kind of dynamic we'd be looking to see as far as representation here. Um, That particular scenario, that's, you know, got two ends of implications when you talk about the county, Uh, whereas the city of L.A., it's more people leaving certain districts um so i yeah i mean that that's definitely something to keep an eye on um you know even with like new developments if you look at like um the warner's or the the warner center over in the valley that's a huge economic hub that they're trying to put down the pipeline bob blumenfield is running for his last term in office Somebody like John Lee would love, love, love to have the Warner Center in his district. Um, And Bob Blumenfield would definitely love to keep it in his district. Um, So whether it's like population shifts and demographics or economic hubs coming in, um, transit lines, all kinds of things can be factors in, you know, in how people view this turf. And how they size it up and, and view what kind of interest they can gobble out of there. If I, 
if I could just follow up on that real quick, with with the elections being aligned and voter turnout being much higher uh, going forward, is that going to kind of blunt the gerrymandering, do you think? Or is that going to incentivize the council to just go all in on the fuckery to try and <laughs> shape shape their own districts? I, I think it's going to be going all in. And, you know, they're not used to feeling their their feet anywhere near the fire and it's it's been there and now it's simmering <laughs> like they can smell flesh burning um and, and i think the fact that there's such a huge change in the voter base alters the dynamics because normally we can look at things and we can compare to past cycles and we could compare to a past cycle and say, all right, this is what's normal. And we have some sort of baseline to work off of. Whereas the baseline has changed dramatically in between these two cycles when it comes to voter turnout. So I think it's going to be harder for, for us to kind of catch or gauge these things. Um, and it opens up a whole lot more opportunity for, for you know, malfeasance. Uh, so, yeah. And I, I think just again the 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 ramen effect that's real as can be, and that's that's definitely on their minds because you know if if somebody took down an incumbent elected official, that would be ground banking period that hadn't happened in eighteen years. But to do it against a very by most accounts decent council member says a whole lot. I mean, there's a reason why the LA Times endorsed David Rue. And I think to some extent it was like, hey, like this guy's trying. Like <laughs> he, he, he tried. <laughs> I mean, he always, like David Rue always hey, struck effort. me as like, as the, the dog that caught the car, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't think he really knew what to do once he got into power. He wasn't able to protect himself I, I, you know, he had some some stuff that went down in his past that I think is definitely bad. But as a council member, he was sort of inoffensive. You know, he seemed like he he wanted to sort of do something good, but couldn't really figure out what he was doing. He just sort of like, oh shit, I actually won this like weird toss up election, and um, I don't know, it always seemed like a man out of place to me. I mean, he he's just um, he was never at the the top of. <laughs> Council, as far as like power players or, or people that folks from the left really saw eye to eye with, um, but he wasn't at the the bottom rung of council. That was kind of reserved for you know awful potted plants or just wretchedly corrupt individuals. Um, <laughs> Can't think of which ones you're talking about, but okay. So, <laughs> well, so so looking at how these maps could be drawn, what do you think would be the biggest political earthquakes? Like a consolidation in the valley, an expansion in South LA? Like, what do you think could reshape council's map the most? You know, I, I think that when these things happen, it's it's crazy because we, we're talking about redistricting, which is like the least sexy political topic we could be talking about. <laughs> I don't know, man. Those, those earmuffs had me feeling a certain type of way. Oh, fair enough. But... but we will see in a few months that people become very, very engaged in this. That Jose Weizar, you know, comic card shuffling, that thing that that happened, 
That was at a meeting where there were 800 people at city council chambers. There was an overflow room. Like, if you go on the Facebook page for the previous commission, you can see the meetings they had in the community, and there's like 600, 700 people, 500 people, all showing up to talk. And this is getting rowdy, you know, people screaming that, you know, folks are being racist and communities are being neglected and oh, it can get like pitchfork level of volatility. Does this mean um, I need to start live tweeting these meetings? Well, I mean, that's yeah, <laughs> eventually. <laughs> so let me know when man. <laughs> yeah. All of, all of that to say that like for 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 some of these battles there's going to be a lot of push and pull and it's going to be easy to see what the the costs and benefits are whereas some of this political stuff when it comes to trying to potentially undercut the progressive vote that could be a whole lot harder to detect and i i think that could f fly under the radar a bit and i think that's probably the the biggest room for play um, but I, I, I definitely think, you know, the Valley and, and, and Latino representation is going to be a big thing in this cycle. Um, I think downtown LA is going to be a very big flashpoint as well, because as a candidate, council member De Leon said, I think it's really, really, really important that all of downtown LA is in CD 14. Meaning, <laughs> I want the Staples Center and the Convention Center. Um, now, Fuck you, Gil. When, when Ke Kevin DeLeon was saying that, that was before the, you know, huge drop with Jose Huizar and Mitch Englander and the renewed scrutiny on the previous redistricting process. And I, I think that maybe put some pause on things where mayoral candidate De Leon's not going to waste all of his political capital and being overly aggressive in a way that's going to have him looking like anything like Jose Huizar. But even if we were to change downtown LA um, and potentially change it in a way that empowered, let's say, CD9, um, how do we do that? What makes sense? Whether it's the arts district or the area around Staples Center, um, the Civic Center, Grand Park, you know, Little Tokyo, there's there's all different ways you could divide up downtown L.A. And what makes the most sense? Because there's a reason Kevin DeLeon was saying, I think all of downtown L.A. should be um, in CD14. And it's not just because that would make it a whole lot easier for me to raise big bucks for my mayoral run. Um, that, that's maybe one factor, but like just from a governance perspective, when you're trying to get, you know, rail lines sorted out projects, infrastructure in downtown LA, safe streets, bike lanes, when you're trying to get that sorted out, when you're dealing with trash pickup and illegal dumping, all those kinds of things, like having downtown LA in one place is helpful so that that council member is the the one buck where that stops and they're the person that can interface with the state representatives and the congressional representatives like there are rational reasons why all of CD14 should have downtown LA um so I, but I just 
I just put a map up on the screen for anybody that's watching the, the, the show right now. You can see CD14 ended, basically inclu included a small portion uh, of what looks like it was the Arts District back in the day, uh, whereas CD9 incorporated all of the rest of downtown, everything that was east of the 110 freeway, south of the 101. Um, and the and the District 1 doesn't actually look like it even jumps into that area. Did So the Civic Center... And uh, the convention center and um, not civic center, civic center is a different area. Uh, convention center and staple center, did those get drawn into CD1 during the last redistricting? So the convention center and staple center um, were were left in CD9. That was the only little finger. Oh, of gotcha. Okay. CD9 held on to. Cool. Uh, hey, Terry, you, you look like you had a question you were trying to hop in on earlier. Uh, I think we kind of passed that one, but uh, no. But this is interesting. What, just following up on what you're saying with the, the legitimate reasons for having one geographic area downtown being one council office, because you know, there are vastly disparate interests of the of the populations living in downtown. So it just seems like it it's moving the conflicts right. There's either conflict between multiple council members, or or multiple conflicts of constituents on one council member and I, I just think it's fascinating I don't know how to how it would be balanced uh, in any kind of equitable way but that's that's the 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 saucy side of redistricting is <laughs> like how all of this stuff fits together and and the push and pull um, that that kind of tension when you're you're weighing all of these interests um, because as I said, like nothing happens in a vacuum. And part of the problem they had last time around is when the commission was drawing the lines, they had three individual committees set up, intentionally designed so that none of the committees had a quorum, so they didn't have to mess with the Brown Act. And they had a you know a valley, a central LA, and a southern region of LA committee. And the valley drew the lines first for the valley. And then the next one got it, and they're like, well, shit, we got these lines from the valley, and this kind of ties our hands. So then they drew the lines, and then the, the southernmost part got the lines, and they got it, and they were like, what do we even do with this? And that resulted in the maps basically being thrown out the window, and they had to start all over. Uh, because it's just impossible to draw, you know, CD14 in the abstract. Um, but, like... The, these are, I think, another interesting angle to this with CD14 is, you know, does Highland Park get united in one council district or does it remain split amongst York Boulevard? Does Eagle Rock stay in CD14? Um, like there, there's just all kinds of interesting things with redistricting and, and how this is going to play out here. Yeah. Uh, CD... Yeah, I think those. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say uh, CD9 we've talked about quite a bit, but CD8, um, Bernard Parks' old district, had major landmarks, economic centers that were drawn out into CD10. Um, and for some of these districts that don't have a lot of economic wealth, uh, resources, like that's a huge ding to them, and it really does sink them. Um, there was even an effort you know, to, to get Westchester um, – split off um so like there, there's all across the city 
we're going to see different flashpoints as these things get discussed. And when when people, as we've seen with um, Koreatown, you know, when it came to setting up a homeless shelter, um, as we've seen with the Skid Row Neighborhood Council, as we've seen with the little Bangladesh little neighborhood council that was proposed, um, when things are happening at people's doorstep uh, that affect their representation and, you know, they get kind of whipped up into it, it can get really, really heated. Um, so it's redistricting is, is one of those things that's never going to be pretty. Um, that's just the nature of it, but it doesn't have to be as ugly as it was last time around. And um, a big part of that is people being engaged. Um, and, you know, even though this commission is only advisory, um, our commissioners usually are more responsive and receptive than our elected officials. And there is an opportunity to get these lines in a place where hopefully if there's, you know, funny business that happens at council, it's really easy to identify. And, you know, there's a, you know, an ability to push back. Uh, with COVID, all of this stuff is is very weird because normally we'd be having meetings, you know, in San Pedro, in, you know, Venice, um, wherever. And last time around, they had a meeting in every single council district. Wow. Uh, they had 20-something meetings total. And that's not something that's going to happen this time around. Mm. Well, so, uh the community. So uh, uh, how can people get involved? I know you had the toolkit earlier. When are the commissions meeting? Like, when do we, when do we call in to yell at people on Zoom? <laughs> so if you, you, your first opportunity to, to yell at somebody on Zoom about this process is this Wednesday. Um, the LAUSD commission is meeting. And as I said earlier, they're going to be considering Andrew Westall uh, for executive director. Um, they, they have regular meeting schedules that are on the, the commission's website if you go on the supplemental documents section. Um, as far as staying involved, uh, we're, we're working on getting our coalition, you know, a little bit more situated and, and organized. So there'll be some opportunities there um, as far as our broader redistricting coalition and representative government. Um, but... You know, for the time being, Unrig LA, you can follow there and, and yeah. um, be be keeping you in the loop on everything that happens here. Nice. This was this was so informative. I know we could we'll probably go more in depth on this as things develop and things move on. Uh, but the last question I had for you before we let you go, uh, we're doing our once in a generation get rid of our governor and replace them with a celebrity. Who is our next celebrity governor? <sighs> celebrity governor. Do Harry and uh, whatever her name is, they are they residents now? Ooh, ooh, there we go. Megan Markle for California governor. Wow. <laughs> oh, shit. I, I, oh, still, shit. Some, I still some, like uh, Comrade Homestar from the chat is saying The Rock. <laughs> the Rock would be overly, like, The Rock would be formidably scary. If The Rock got in this thing, like Gavin Newsom is potentially toast. Yeah, the the uh, people's governor. Yeah, C Cindy Otteson is suggesting Jane Fonda can you, run. I can smell what the Rock is cooking, and suspiciously, it's a lot of tax cuts because he's a Republican. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. I, I think The Rock... <laughs> the Rock has a has a red carpet to this thing. Like, Kanye, Kim... Oh, Jesus Christ. They, 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 they don't have that same oomph, that same cross-partisan oomph that The Rock does. Well, now that we've spoken that into existence... <laughs> yeah, well, we, oh, will, no. we will report on that and more... After Governor Dwayne The Rock Johnson is inaugurated here in the next year. But until then, folks, uh, don't forget to follow Chris on uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays live tweeting city council. Not this week. Until they meet their uh, – oh, not this week. Oh, that's right. Nope. They're on recess. They're but on recess. Until they, Spring break. And until they meet their legally mandated obligation of actually holding a Friday meeting. Yeah. Uh, you can also tune in to us every Monday here. You can check out Beltalauda for people in the back – Fridays at uh, 7 p.m. right here again. And we got some other fun stuff this week, Chris. What do we got coming up? Uh, well, there is once again another BLM action happening in front of the Los Angeles Police Protective League's offices, which coincidentally are across the street from the ACLU SoCal building, which has this big, beautiful mural um, basically telling the cops to go fuck themselves. Uh, and uh, it's pretty great that it's directly across the street from it. But, you know, details so uh yeah that protest will be once again happening uh at 3 p.m uh come on out and participate double masks social distance uh that's the way we roll um tuesday morning tomorrow there will be another com an lapd uh com i can never remember what the fucking acronym lapcc los angeles police commission uh is going to be meeting in the morning Check out LAPC Fails on Twitter uh, to go find out what is going on. Get information about how to call in, how to participate in this uh, shit show of uh, rampant corruption. Thanks to Steve Soboroff, who apparently is literally cross-checking every vote he does with uh, uh, Mr. Lally and uh, Mr. McBride from the Los Angeles Police Protection League, uh, Protective League, rather. Um, and, uh, it's really fucked up. It's really, really fucked up. Uh, we also are going to be having a land trust teach-in hosted by the Vermont Beverly, or the, sorry, the Vermont Beverly Community Land Trust teach-in happening on March 13th from 5 to 7 p.m. The RSVP link will be up in the description, but it's basically, it's event. Oh God, I'm not reading that. Never mind. Yeah, don't, don't read the link. We'll words. post the link for you. <laughs> And then, of course, you can subscribe to the Ground Game LA calendar, uh, events calendar at bit.ly slash ggeventscal, ggeventscal. So it's super easy to uh, get a hold of. Um, let's see. Somebody is saying the board of, oh, God, the board of supervisors meeting. I'm not covering that meeting. Somebody else can tweet about it. I don't want to deal with that shit. Um, yeah, I think that pretty much covers it for me. Uh, Squirrel, you got anything else? No, that's pretty much it. I just wanted to say, Rob, thank you so much for joining us again. Terry is always staying up late there on the East Coast. Uh, Rob, go ahead and take us out on some words of wisdom. Uh, words of wisdom? I don't know. All I can think about right now is the people's elbow. And uh, <laughs> I'm just haunted by the thought that The Rock... Could could really just blow this thing open? Like, oh, I just oh. imagine the phone calls happening right now behind the scenes. You know, like to try to block out the rock from getting any ideas. Like, maybe he'll get some good appointment or something. Like, 
get some sort of like side gig. I don't know what's going to happen, but like this is a real threat. Yeah. <sighs> the, oh, the, by the way, the Gavinator is uh, quaking in his boots. Gina is asking in the chat, Rob, what it is that you're going to run for. Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it, the, the Sensible only, response. I hope to get something on the ballot next time around, but I will not be on it. Um, I, I, we, we need to get a whole lot more people on city council so that I would not go crazy or end up getting drawn out of my district or removed from all of my committees, uh, or having the council president <laughs> block me from filling potholes. Like, I don't know. I, I don't have quite the same patience as, as some other people. And to like, be fair, she definitely knows who you are. Like, definitely knows who you are. <laughs> Nuri and I are, are friends, kind of. Sure you are. Sure. That's exactly how that relationship feels when I'm listening to the meetings during the day. <laughs> all right. All right. We're getting a little bit loopy here. Uh, I think that pretty much wraps it all up for us. Uh, thank you very much, Rob, for tuning, for joining us today. Thank you everybody who tuned in live. Uh, Alex, uh, Alex cave is apparently saying that you need to run for city attorney, which uh, I'll let you go ahead. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's shaking his head, Alex. Um, but <laughs> thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, follow yeah. us. Our, our what scroll? You had something? No, I was just agreeing with you. Oh. <laughs> so as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in, publicizing, or just being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page or at Ground Game LA over on Twitter or Instagram. This podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock LA. You can support our work over on Patreon at Patreon.com/Knock underscore LA check the description of the podcast for sources links to action and social media links. And we will definitely be including a link to that incredibly useful toolkit that Rob put together about the redistricting process. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, see you next time. Bye. Thank you everybody. Mm -hmm.